Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Why do you study your Bible? As I think of reasons why I study my Bible, some reasons are to learn God's way of life, to learn his law, and to learn his expectations for us. Another reason that came to mind was to study the lives of historical figures, including Jesus Christ himself. Another reason on the list of reasons why I study my Bible are to, from a historical perspective, to study time periods, events, line those up with uh, when I was in school and taking history classes, lining those up and and uh, showing that God's Bible is an actual historical book and the events in this Bible can be uh, related to history that we learn at school. Another reason is to learn of potential future events from a prophecy perspective to prepare us for the, to provide us with the hope and, and to provide us with uh, the ability to watch and know that amongst all of the the events that happen in this world that can be stressful, as we heard about uh, last week and this week in the message, uh, that with all of the, the stressful events that could be happening, that we have a peace within us. Brother Gord talked about that as well, that things don't need to get us off our game or, or disturb us because we've read about it in God's scripture and we're expecting it. And as I, I, as I took time to, to ask myself why I study the Bible, it struck me that those reasons are really left-brained reasons. Left brain, left side of the brain being the analytical side, the type A personality side, versus the right side of the brain, which is more creative and more uh, type B personality, one who's from an, an artistic perspective. I enjoy studying the Bible for all of the academic reasons that I, that I, I listed. But they're academic. When we look at the word inspiration, the meanings of the word inspiration are the process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. We think of the, the phrase flashes of inspiration. The second part of the definition is the quality of having been so stimulated, especially when evident in something. We see newspapers, church bulletins have daily or periodic words of wisdom or stories of inspiration. Brother Gord gave us a couple of stories of inspiration at the start of his message. Almost as an aside, amidst all the news that is being presented, we're offered something to be inspired by. Something, words of wisdom, words to hit our heart, words to, to, to capture our hearts in the context of, of the service. Mankind is under such intense pressure, and we talked a little bit about last week when we discussed the, this message of hope that we have, that an entire cottage industry has been developed over inspirational books. Years ago, when uh, it's got to be over 20 years now, they started the series, the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And uh, I remember reading the first couple, and there's a lot of inspirational stories there, but then it almost became a cottage industry, Chicken Soup for, the, for Mothers, Chicken Soup for Fathers, Chicken Soup for Grandparents, Chicken Soup for Golfers, Chicken Soup for... Uh, if you had anything, there was a Chicken Soup book for that, because mankind is is looking for something, mankind is grasping for something, looking for something. 
there's the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff uh, little, little series of booklets. I don't remember, it was Richard something that uh, was the author of those. Little daily snippets that you could read and be inspired by. Mitch Album is a sports writer who wrote a, couple, a series of books now. Not a series, they're not a series, different stories. One was uh, Five People You Meet in Heaven, I think is what it was called, or Tuesdays with Maury. A different, uh, little, different little stories that he has written to inspire people. A few years back, there was the famous last lecture by a professor from Carnegie University in Pittsburgh by the name of Randy Pausch, who had, uh, I think it was pancreatic cancer, and he had given a, a last lecture to his students on the value of life, and it had gone viral, and then there was a book that came out about that. Another fellow is a, a gentleman by the name of James Redfield. I think he talks about the, some sort of, uh, uh, I don't even know what it is, but uh, um, his name strikes, strikes me as another author in the cottage industry of, of inspirational books. Where do we turn to to be lifted up, to be inspired, and to be motivated? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at the book of Psalms today. Because as academic as Scripture is, as, as from my perspective, as left-brained as this booklet is, as this book is, that can teach us how to live, it can teach us all about God, so all the little nuances, and when you study together with other people, you pick out little parts that you hadn't seen before, and you learn about God's way. In order for God to break into our, to break us down and to get into our minds, he has to first touch our hearts. And there are parts of the Bible that are inspiration, that are put here, not to teach us anything specific, but to break into our hearts and to help us learn about him, to help us learn how to praise him, how to honor him, how to glorify him. And, and as human beings, we sometimes feel certain ways. And David and the other writers over the court, the, all of the writers who wrote Psalms, David was, wrote the majority, we've all felt certain ways. Psalms chapter 3, the third psalm, starts out at verse 1. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. We've, I'm sure if you haven't felt that, I'm sure you've, you know people who have felt that, where you feel that the entire world is against you. We could go, for instance, to the 13th Psalm. The 13th Psalm. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. This is another emotion that David felt that, I, that we can probably relate to. At some point in our lives, as you have gone on your, your search for God, and you're, you, you know that there's something missing in your life, and you're searching for him, and you're searching for him, or perhaps you found him, but in the course of the human existence, we all have our ups and our downs, and in the course of any relationship, sometimes there are bad days in a relationship, and sometimes we probably have those bad days in our relationship with God. 
where we ask God, you say, I seem to be, you can't see me. I seem to be down here all by myself. I feel all alone down here. How long are you going to let me be alone down here? How long, as David said, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long shall I be sort of crying in my own, my own uh, beer here? How long are you going to let me be this, this way on my own? And we see there are plenty of psalms here. Psalm 17 is another one we'll, we'll look at. As we see the, the, the emotions of the writers of this book. Psalm 17 in the first verse says, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Take time to drop down to verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings for the wicked, from the wicked who oppress me, from my daily enemies who surround me. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to earth. As a lion is eager to tear his prey, and, a, and like a young lion lurking in secret places, arise, O Lord, confront him and cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. Again, another example of a heartfelt psalm where the writer, in this case, again, it is David, and he has a way with words that he has written in, in this, this book that we call the Book of Psalms, where he can capture an emotion, where he can capture this, this desire for God to look down and, and, and touch our lives when things are, don't seem to be going right. Just a couple of more here as we get started. Psalms 22. This 22nd Psalm. This is typically read as a prophecy of Christ. It points towards some of the things that Christ said during his crucifixion. But remember that David wrote this himself and was feeling this way. And as we start out the psalm, he writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a man after God's own heart, who in the course of his life, at some point, felt completely forsaken, that God had walked away. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. Dropping down to verse 14, he says, again, foreshadowing the crucifixion, but again, describing how he felt. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And from my clothing, they cast lots. I'm sure we have all been there where we have felt that. Where we have felt at some point when we think of the, the poem uh, Footprints in the Sand, where the writer of that poem was feeling the exact same way. Looking back in the course of his life, he sees a single set of footprints in the times of his life when he it was worst. And for some reason he says to God, you know, why, why did you disappear? Because that's how he felt. We, of course, know that the ending to the poem is God telling him that's where he carried him, that he wasn't walking on his own, but God was actually carrying him. 
But the point being is that we have times in our lives where we feel this way, despite the fact that we are Christians, despite the fact that we've given our lives to God. There are times in our lives where we feel alone. There are times in our lives where, where it seems like we're calling out and God isn't there. Psalms 42 is, a, is another example. Psalms 42. And we have a, a hymn in our book based on at least the first part of this, this psalm. Psalms 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Again, the emotions that this human life can bring us when we focus, when life gets us, when, when uh, the job gets a little long, perhaps you lose your job, perhaps you're going through uh, some, any type of uh, troubles in relationships with uh, uh, spouses, parents, children, um, stresses of going to, uh, to school, to new schools, to taking different steps in life, and perhaps out on your own for the first time, and, and it, it feels like you're all by yourself and all alone. And when we see that, we see that when we go through this book of Psalms, it's not an emotion that hasn't been felt by, by God's people, by someone as strong as, as David or the other psalmists. One last one to look at before we take a different attack through the sermon is Psalms 142 the 142nd Psalm and the, the note on this psalm here at least in, in my Bible is that it was written according to tradition by David when he was in the cave so when he was fleeing from Saul or, or on the run he writes, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him, and I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. And in the way which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. For I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. And again, David, all on his own, a, a man that is, he knows God has chosen him for a, a future, future as king in Israel. But at this point in his life, he feels alone. He's stuck in a cave. He, the, the current king is set against him, wanting to kill him. So what do we do when we find ourselves feeling like David? We, we have the privilege of being together on a weekly basis here. We have the privilege of, of not just here, but having services at different places close by. Uh, privilege of, of having a, a, 
different brothers and sisters to get together with during, during the week to inspire us. But there comes times in our lives, despite all the excitement, despite all the positivity in our lives, despite our need for really nothing. We've got everything in this part of the world that we could ever need. Family, friends, God's way of life, uh, food, shelter, clothing. There comes times in our lives where we end up feeling like David here. We end up feeling forsaken. We end up feeling all by ourselves. We heard Brother Gord talk about that he looked for years for what he felt was a proper church. So for years and years he was crying out, he said, for 30 years and didn't seem to have been getting any answers. But yet he continued to cry out for that. The answers can be found in the same book, in the Psalms. While David here and the other psalmists pour out their hearts with with their distress and with their feelings of loneliness and feelings of, of refuge and feelings of being forsaken, the answers we find in the same book. Psalms 46, let's, let's go there for a second. This was part of what we had read in the scripture reading. But despite all of the academic reasons to read your Bible, to learn about God's way, to know his law, to try to number your steps right so that in the, whether you're young or older, the steps that you plan in your life, you follow God's way to the best of your abilities. Sometimes the academic part of the Bible leaves us still wanting because there's another part to the Bible, these writings, these writings of inspiration, that it doesn't matter how well you're keeping the law. It doesn't matter how well you're doing something. If you're missing something in here, if you need some inspiration, it's, it's these things that, that we find in these writings that can bridge that gap. And we see here in the 46th Psalm, drop down to, we'll start in verse 10, a simple statement from God saying, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. This be still is the Hebrew root Rapha, Rapha, and it doesn't necessarily mean specifically to be still. What it means is to slack it, to let go, to ease up. In other words, to let go of trying to control things and let God be God. Quit trying so hard to fix things ourselves. And as, as one, I think it was Charles Gross said once, he said, let go and let God. So this be still and know that I am God. Sometimes all of the academic things that we could possibly, all the things that make sense to us, that if someone else was in, in, in trouble or someone else needed somewhere to cry on, we could have all of these nice little things to say to them and be the person that says all the right things. And other times we're on that other side of the aisle and anything that seems to make sense simply doesn't make sense to us. We, we've known this stuff for 30 and 40 years in some cases and yet we still find ourselves like King David. King David, of all people, should never have felt like this. But as a human being, we all find ourselves in that position. Continuing from verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. How many times are we told throughout Scripture that everything we should do should be done to glorify God? When we're feeling downtrodden, when we're feeling, as David has felt, where he said he felt forsaken or we, we feel lost in a cave. It's likely that our focus is on ourselves and not God. And God's answer here is be still and know that I am God. Know that I will be exalted among the nations. Know that I will be exalted in all the earth. That I am the Lord of hosts. That I am with you. 
that is that's not academic. That is not that is not something that you can just read and go, okay, that's something you have to feel. That's something that these these inspirational books, these writings, provide the human being. And that's what part of the reason why God has these in here. He's chock full of history, he's chock full of law, he's chock full of of, of what we need, but sometimes this human, these human beings that he's created just need just need some feeling, just need some inspiration. And these psalms, in part, are what we have for that. His instructions here are clear. Be still, let go, loosen your grip, relax, and know that I am God. Know that I am here, I am, I was, and I always will be. Christ tells us that, Paul tells us that in Hebrews 13, verse 8. Now let's go back to the same chapter, Psalms 46. And notice that when David was right, when David's heart was in the right place, when he wasn't feeling some of the ways that we've read in those various psalms that we read, that his focus was on God. His focus was on God's majesty, his power, his greatness. Verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength. Again, the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains, uh, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So again, those first three verses, he's presenting all the same fears, but his heart's in the right place because he's focusing on God, and he's not going to fear. There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord. Who has made the desolations in the earth? He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. So with all of that, background, with all of that feeling, with all of that knowledge of knowing who God is, then he says, be still and know that I am God. Let go. Let me do it. Don't worry yourself. Don't don't trouble yourself with trying to fix things yourself. Just be still, let go, and let me help solve it. Let's go back to the Psalms that we read. So back to Psalms chapter 3. These Psalms Again, they were categorized. Some of the psalms that we read, there were six of them that we chose. There are 39 psalms of lament. Of, of the 150 psalms, 39 of them are categorized as psalms of lament. Psalms where the psalmist, whether it be David or one of the other writers, is at one of those points in life where he's just not feeling it, or he's not in the right frame of mind, or he needs, he can't do it on his own. He needs some help. But when we go back to these very same Psalms of Lament, and we read their anguish, it also shows us how to deal with that anguish. God presents us with, this, with, with these feelings. He shows us that his, his, his heroes in the Bible, people like David, feel sometimes just the same way as we do. Overwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed alone. And yet, in these very same Psalms, he doesn't leave us lacking. Verse 3 of Psalms chapter 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're my glory and the one who lifts up my head. 
I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, and you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Again, focusing on the greatness of God. When, when we have nothing else to focus on, when, when law doesn't make sense, when his, the historical figures don't make sense, when everything we should know doesn't seem to be able to pick us up or, or, or make things right, sometimes we just need to focus on God and focus on his greatness and all that he is and all that he's done for us and all the promises he's made for us. Psalms 13, we were there before. Let's go back to Psalms 13. We read the first four verses where, again, David was feeling alone, forgotten, that God's hidden his face from him. But when he felt like that, verse 5, I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Sometimes we just need to trust God. Sometimes we just need to go to these these psalms and read about him and go to them and not try to make things right, not try to fix your problems, but just read about God and read about his greatness. And here David says, I've trusted in your mercy and I'll rejoice in your salvation. The 17th Psalm, just a few pages forward. Again, having read some of this before, where David calls upon God and begs for him to hear him. At the end, in verse 15, he says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I'll just be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Again, it's just trust. Sometimes sometimes we, we can't solve our own problems. We just simply have to trust that they'll be solved in due time, whether it's in the course of this life or the next one. And we simply trust that all of, all of the study that we've done over the years, all of the, the, what we know to be true, knowing God, reading about him, reading about what he's done for others, all of the academic stuff sometimes is there for when we actually really just need to put our trust in it. Trust in what, trust in knowing that God's way and following Him will work. Back to the twenty-second Psalm. The twenty-second Psalm. Verse twenty-two: I will declare Your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise You. We're going to read a few more examples from the Psalms, and then we're going to actually make sense of this and put, put this to some, some tangible, tangible use for us. So he says here, I will declare your name to my brethren, and in the midst of the assembly, I will just praise you. I will just praise you as God. Verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly, and I will pay my vows before those who fear him. Again, nothing academic about this, just at some point, the writer here, David, is just saying, all I'm going to do is praise you. I'm going to spend this time in prayer just praising who you are. Verse 27, all of the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. 
verse chapter 42. Again, we're, we're flipping through some of these psalms rather quickly. We'll kind of bring it together once we get through this. Again, acknowledging his feelings in verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. When my soul is cast down, I'm just going to focus on you and remember all that you've done for mankind for 6,000 years. And I'm going to trust that that same love and that same compassion you're going to put towards me. Again, these very same psalms where we read of David's anguish, where we read his, his heart pouring up to God in distress, clearly show us how to deal with that anguish. Simply focus on God's majesty, his power, and his greatness, his glory. Appreciate him for who he is, not necessarily just for what he does. Again, what he does, what he's done is all academic. It's, it's the, the, the lessons that we learn through scripture. It's the, the, present, the presentation of his law, giving us his character, telling us what his character is like. Sometimes we just need to know that he is. And we see some of this, how David has presented it here. That I'm just going to remember that you've done this for mankind. The land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar, some of these historical things that... that, that the stories that have been passed down that David knew about. John chapter 17 tells us, we'll go to John chapter 17. That eternal life, we find this in verse 3. And this is eternal life, John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God and knowing his son is eternal life. There's a whole lot of other stuff that we, that we know and that we read. But when we get right down to it, eternal life is knowing God and knowing his son. We flip over to verse 20. We see that Christ prays for relationships with his believers. Verse 20 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared them to your name, and declare that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Our relationship with God and Christ is of utmost importance. Christ equates it here to eternal life, our specific relationship with him and his father. But anyone who's been in a relationship of any kind, whether it be 
friend, marital, parental, uh, any kind of relationship, relationship with God and Christ, knows that there are ups and downs. Any long, strong marriage or any long, strong friendship or any long, strong parental-child relationship isn't peaches and roses every day, all the time. Relationships go like this because we're human beings. Relationship experts note that one of the keys to keeping relationships alive, and here's where I want to draw our attention back to how David and his anguish focused simply on God's greatness. Relationship experts note that one of the keys to keeping relationships alive and well is to show love in word and action even when you may not be feeling so. In fact, a key in counseling people preparing for marriage or a, a task that has been given by some is to have each person write down before marriage all the things that they love about that person. Write them down and keep them. Keep them, keep them aside. Write down for yourself all the things that you love about this person, why you're marrying them, why you want to spend the rest of your life with them. And then on a regular basis, perhaps on an anniversary or perhaps uh, when, when required, and especially when things may not be going so well, pull them out and remind yourself what it was that you loved about that person way back when you first met. Now I'd like to tie that back into God and how David wrote the Psalms and the inspiration we get from the Psalms, we, before we do, we recall that famous penned poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning where she said, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and the breadth and the height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. For the ends of being and ideal grace, I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love with a passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose. With my lost saints, I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall love but thee better after death. And we see how when she penned this about her, her love, she was just counting all of the reasons that she loved about him. When we find ourselves like David, in those rare occasions where we feel forsaken, where we feel alone, where we feel, God, where are you? I've been asking for, for years for this. I've been asking for help. Where are you? Sometimes all we need to do is pull out why we love God in the first place. What are the reasons we got into this years ago? And just pull out the Psalms and read them. They're not, they're not going to make you any more knowledgeable. They're not going to make you uh, any more like him in image, like him in character. They're just going to remind you why you're in this race at all. Much like pulling out on an anniversary a list of 40 years before why you chose this person to marry or why you chose to spend the rest of your life with this person. Because as relationships go, sometimes the shine kind of wears off and we get a little, we get a little caught up in everyday life. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Because if it happens to King David, the man after God's own heart, 
it can and likely will, or at least will it and or has, probably happen to us. Revelation chapter 2, discussing the characteristics of this church in Ephesus. We see written, verse 1 of chapter 2, These things say, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, I know your patience, sorry, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. At my count, there's seven or eight items in there that they have done well. He knows they have good works. They labor hard for God. They have patience. They cannot stand those who are evil. That's something that God wants in his people. They cannot stand evil. They test what they hear from the pulpit, whether it's right or not. They persevere. They have patience. They have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. So these are a, a, a group of people who are doing all of the right things. And yet he says to them, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They lost their first love. But they're doing all of these things right. God, all of these academic things that God denotes here, that Christ denotes here to the angel, from the outside, they're doing all the right things. They have good works. Again, we read those off. We'll look at them again. They have good works. They labor hard for God. They're patient. Very good qualities. Very good characteristics. They, they abhor evil. They abhor evil. They test what they hear from from. The, what they call the apostles here. They test what they hear from God's servants. They persevere. Yet what God knows, they've lost their first love. Remember, verse 5, therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Sometimes things can become academic. We look again at all of these things this, this group has done. They're doing all the good things. If you were to walk into this group in Ephesus as a, as a guest and spend a couple of weeks in their service, you would see them doing all the right things. But in their hearts, God knows that they have lost their first love. There's just something missing from them. They were still doing many of the right things, but their hearts were not in it. God likens this to the first love because that is the first thing to go in any relationship. That sometimes... The first love gets a little passe, gets a little, just gets a, a little passe. Let's, 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 for lack of a better word, I can't think of a better word than that. It doesn't mean that your heart's not in it. It doesn't mean that you're not uh, still dedicated to that relationship, whether it be marital, parental, friendship. But as people get to know each other, you sometimes take each other for granted. The little things start to irritate. You start to, the little things that you used to like about that friend or that you used to like about that love maybe now are a little bit of an irritant. That's losing the first love. The relationship is still strong. You're not going anywhere. But we see here it likens that to, similar to a losing a first love. Psalms 47. And again, driving that back to knowing God, sometimes we find ourselves 
in our relationship with God. Like David. Where things just aren't what they used to be. That God seems to have moved. God seems to have stopped answering prayers. God seems to have listened, stopped listening. And we want to get that back. Well, it makes sense to do the same thing we would do in a physical relationship. And that is just... Sometimes you have to just go through the motions. As, and as is, it was brought out in some marital counseling, that you say some things to your friend. About, you tell your friend how much you like them. Or you tell your spouse or, or your loved one. Whether or not you're really feeling it in your heart, you, see, you just go back and start saying the things that you, that you liked about them or that you love about them. So that eventually you say it enough, you convince the human heart that you actually believe it. That's from some, some uh, marital counseling techniques. And here this is similar to going through the Psalms where sometimes David says, I'm just going to focus on you, God. I'm just going to remind myself that you're omnipotent, that you've done this before, you've been doing this for, for eternity, that you haven't forgotten about me. I may not feel it. I may be... There's just, I, I can't quite put it into words, God, but all I'm going to do is focus on the fact that you're great. You're awesome. You're glorious. All that you do, I know you can do it. And we see here in the 47th Psalm, this is one of what's classified as one of the royal psalms, denoting God's majesty. There are others, like Psalms 93, which we won't turn to, that are called royal psalms. And here, there's nothing academic about this psalm. This is just, and we'll, we'll read it here so we get the, the feeling of how David Sorry, this isn't uh, David, this is one of the sons of Korah, is feeling. Oh, clap your hands, all of you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome, and he is, great king. he is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples, the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with, our, with understanding. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shield of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. As we read this, it strikes that this holds the key for understanding the book of Psalms. God, God doesn't need to be told all these things. He knows it. He is who he is. And he doesn't need to be told all of these great things about him. So why does he tell us to tell him this? Why would he, is, he, is, he, is he arrogant and needs to hear for, for some type of, of personal pleasure? Needs to hear how great he is? Obviously not. We know that's not who God is. But there's value in simply telling God how great he is and focusing on his greatness. There comes a time in relationships where we need to remind ourselves why we're actually in it. Why are we doing this? So that we can keep the, so we can keep the fires of our first love alive. And the Psalms provide this type of inspiration. The Psalms provide reason to stay in this race. The Psalms provide, give us heart of why we keep doing this. Why, when it seems things are against us, or we can't, we've lost uh, touch with, with church friends, or we're not seeing eye to eye with, with those we've seen eye to eye with over the years, 
the Psalms provide reason for us whenever that happens to us. And it likely, if we're anything, we're no less or greater than David. So it likely will happen to us in the course of our lifetime where we start feeling this way. We turn to the book of Psalms and simply praise God for who he is and remind ourselves why we're doing this, why we're in this life. This is why praising God and Christ is a key part of our worship service because we're emotionally charged with our hearts open. So when it comes time for teaching, our hearts are now, our minds are now open. Part of the reason why we, why I think, it's my opinion, why there's value in, in praise of praising God together, hearing special music, hearing things that are not the teaching that we have in the service, is to open our hearts, to emotionally charge us, to to hear what God has for us. So now that emotionally we're ready to hear God, so now He can teach us. And we become more like him and better like him. And that's, we have the Psalms here from a a congregational point of view. We also have them from a personal point of view when we just need to focus on God. And we just need to be reminded how great he is and and why it's important to to stay this course. So 2 Timothy 3, we'll finish in 2 Timothy 3. Again, part of the reason why we, we praise God is so that our hearts are now open to be taught by Him. If, we, if, if our hearts are open, whether it be personally, in times of study, or congregationally, here at services, we turn to the Psalms to praise. We turn to the Psalms to be emotionally charged, to be inspired, so that we now can, can be ready to accept teaching. Verse 14 says, But you must continue in the things, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. The Bible is full of instruction, teaching, history, law, self-help, prophecy, and lights our way to the kingdom. But sometimes, all we need is to be cuddled, held, and reminded who God is. Remember back to when you were a child, that comforting feeling of being in mom's or dad's arms. Very little was said, quiet, I'm here, everything will be okay. And we never doubted, not once. In the midst of all the learning and the academia that this book provides, let's never forget to be inspired by it as well. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.